And we're back. Yet another week, April 18th. Here we go. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Yes, we are back. Hi, everyone. There's Dean. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. That's me. Hello. We, 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 we watched more stuff, so we're going to talk about more stuff. Isn't that yes. right? Uh, it's, it sure is. Another week, another list of lovely choices for you all. Although, although, this may be the first week where we don't talk about something from Amazon Prime. Really? I think Ooh, so. Could be, could be. Could be, maybe. That's a nice little teaser there, maybe. Let's <laughs> keep everybody do, do you have a on piece, the edge of their seats. Do you have a piece of Amazon Prime content? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say. I'm just going to right. leave it out there. We're going to tease <laughs> everyone people, Keep people hooked. Cool. Well, news in my week, uh, well, the week before, actually, the last two weeks, is that um, I acquired myself a new streaming service, Dean. Oh, did you know? Yes, another one beginning with A. Oh, let me try and guess. Um, <laughs> I can't think of a single streaming service that isn't Amazon that doesn't bring in with A. Well, Dean, allow me uh, to enlighten you. Okay, go ahead. It is called Apple TV. Oh. Of course it is, of course. <laughs> Apple TV, there you go. This is so, the other big player. Yeah. Um, I might do another little bit of a promotion for a company that I don't work for, but Apple TV is mm-hmm. pretty good. It's pretty good. And it's also very cheap. <laughs> Five quid a month, can't really go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is definitely going far, far too much into the, the typical uh, podcast territory of, uh, yeah. of us just going. And if you use the coupon, <laughs> yeah. if you say pop swap, <laughs> when you hand in your If you go to the checkout a... and put in pop swap, yeah. you will get $2. Over it. No. Um, I'm yeah, not going to do, do that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I cool. You got Apple TV. I got Apple nice. TV. Yes, um, and I watched two TV shows, with which I had a wonderful time. So we will be talking about them. But for now, I would like to hear about what you did this week, Dean. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? Uh, right. Where to begin? I have been watching movies this week. I guess so. Let's go through a couple of those. Quelle surprise! Yes. Uh, right. The first one i'm gonna go into is uh it's called enforcement which was its u.s title i think it's originally called shorter which is an arabic term for the word police okay um uh, like i say i think it just got remarketed for its u.s release as enforcement which is a bit more of a generic kind of title um it's a danish film uh, that i would slot Alongside, I suppose, a little bit of a sub-genre sorry, of movies I refer to as survive the day night movies. Think along the lines of something like 71 or Assault on Precinct 13, The Warriors. Or maybe a bit more specifically in this case, since you're dealing with cops on the beat. Maybe like David Ayer's previous takes like Training Day and End of Watch. Yeah. Or uh, a really great one from the 80s. What's it called now? Uh, that I love. I think Dennis Hopper directs it. Colours with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that one? Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I do know. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's very good. Cool. Uh, yeah, along those types of lines. Uh, so it opens with you have an Arabic teenager who's sort of face down the first shot of the film. Face down on the ground, being restrained by police and the first lines to come out of his mouth are him saying, I can't breathe repeatedly, which obviously has pretty yep. huge sort of uh, cultural associations. Uh, don't really need to explain that too much. But then they kind of use that sort of little seed of a social issue more as a backdrop, really, to be honest with you. Um, okay. than this main focus of the story, which, to be fair, is a pretty straightforward genre film mm-hmm. um, with some, like, morally suspect characters thrown in to be honest with you so it doesn't really even though that that kind of like social theme is there yeah those political kind of issues i wouldn't say it's a central focus of the story really did you want it uh, to go there or were you happy really. i was kind of i was kind of happy for it to be as pretty effective genre film so yeah. i was kind of happy that it, it kind of left it a bit ambiguous in that respect it's Starts off anyway from there. So you have uh, you have like the detained teenager from the opening, and he ends up in critical condition due to the police force, uh, like the lethal sort of force that was used by the police at the time. And the police are kind of preparing for damage control by warning all the officers to sort of avoid entering yeah. the estate where that teenager came from at the start. And 
they are kind of like fearing that maybe tension in the community might kind of like spill out into some form of a riot might take place if uh, things could get violent if things go wrong and you've got two cops you've got a character called Jens who was there on the day of the incident mm. and he's kind of keeping quiet and he's also sort of on the surface he's like the more reasonable and sympathetic of the two characters and then you've got like this really hot-headed sort of kind of unashamedly like bigoted cop who's uh, called Mike and he's been paired with Jens by his police chief yeah. to spend the day with him um, in a training day sort of yeah. scenario. And like Mike sort of spends most of the movie, to be fair, sort of like having to be kept on a leash um, from like aggressive outbursts and uh, fairly racist behaviour at times, pretty ignorant towards dealing with the public and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's kind of like a bit of a hothead that the other character has to deal with. And they both end up patrolling the estate eventually anyway. And after Mike performs a stop and search of... Uh, a local boy there called Amos uh, things sort of escalate from there and the two of them sort of find themselves stranded in the estate having to survive their way out of there and they end up um, bringing Amos along with them they sort of detain him because they see him as slightly responsible for what happens to them and one of the reasons that they end up being stranded without spoiling too much but uh, he kind of gets brought along and uh, to be honest with you even though it sort of deals with issues of like race relations with the police and stuff like that, it kind of treads a pretty fine line between sort of showing people from the Arabic community in the movie as something other than a threat. Yeah. But it does kind of make it pretty clear that they're only dealing with criminals and gang members from that community and they in particular are the, are the threat. Mm -hmm. And since you're viewing it through the lens of the police officers, it's obviously from their perspective the movie's taken from. So I can kind of like forgive it for that like it's acceptable really because the story's coming from that point of view yeah so that that kind of that works for me but then with the exception actually being like amos and his mother are the only two characters really who kind of give the audience a bit of a view into their, a more truthful depiction of the actual local community and the arabic residents of the estate that you get like to see a different side through those characters they're kind of like your way into that mm -hmm. but um don't know it kind of makes some pretty interesting moral choices with its characters and their motivations at times uh there's an actor in it. The main actor who plays the character Mike, that racist cop I was on about, is an actor called Jacob Lohman, who I wasn't really familiar with, but his performance is a real standout. It's really good. It's like a, he reminds me a little bit of like young Oliver Reed or something. He's got that kind cool. of vibe going on. Um, and he brings like a lot of dimension to what could have easily on paper been like sort of paper thin baddie type of character yeah. that's easy to hate. But uh, yeah, he just gives it a little bit more dimension than you expect. But yeah, it's a good... It's a good nail biter. Very cool. Uh, leaves you to make your own judgments on its characters and what's yeah. taking place and stuff. It doesn't kind of like do any overly preachy sort of like finger waving or anything, which I liked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well worth checking out. I like uh, when um, potentially, you know, touchy social subjects in film and TV that they may take a side or whatever, but they don't necessarily force the audience to... Um, end up with only one outcome or one takeaway from it if that makes sense um, yeah like to at least uh foster more and nuanced complex conversations rather than you know mm -hmm. yeah preaching any one thing yeah but, um, i can understand how something like like with this how it might be problematic and i yeah. did have a skim over some reviews and i was surprised to find it was a little bit more negative than i was expecting mm -hmm. uh and i think maybe some of that could be to do with the fact that it does tap into that a little bit and i guess people might expect more like for it to yeah. i guess give a fairer argument to what are considered like not, not that not the villains of the beast but certainly like the fact that they are in a situation where there is a threat at hand and that threat happens to be from a certain side of the community. Mm. Um, but it is all in connection and in retaliation to the fact that something has happened, something has happened initially that, you know, can't be just justified. Mm -hmm. But then the people who seem to be rioting and seem to be sort of committing, wanting to commit these acts of violence against the police in the film are clearly like depicted, like I say, as gang members and as yeah 
members of the community that are criminals that are not that the whole community wouldn't associate themselves with as a whole but maybe it doesn't do a good enough job of showing enough characters in that community that are not part of that as well like like yeah. I say you won't you only get this Amos this young lad who's like he's very he's very good performance he's really good in it He's probably one of the most interesting characters out of the three, to be fair. But um, yeah, it's just a shame there's not a few more characters like him scattered in there as well whilst they're kind of surviving the night. But then again, I don't know, maybe it rolls a bit too much into something else. It doesn't need to be then. It becomes too much of a social issues drama, whereas I think it just, it knows that it's a genre film. It knows it's, it's a cop movie. It's one of those, you know, like, I know that's not an official term, but it's one of those survive the night type of films. Like yeah. it's, it's got that kind of like energy to it and that momentum. And I think if you started adding in a bit too much of that other stuff, it might kind of lose a bit of that pace that keeps you on your feet throughout. Right. Like, so. Right. Yeah. And um, where did you watch it? Uh, you can rent it off of uh, Google Play Movies. Cool. Um, okay. Yeah, but it's, it's available online. I'm sure if you kind of look yeah. up a, a, a way to rent it or get hold of it online, you can yeah. find it there. Sure, I could find it on Apple TV. <laughs> Maybe you can, yeah. Uh, it might be worth checking the two title searches, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Check for shorter as well as enforcement in case right. you can't locate it. Cool. Uh, you said it was a Danish film? It was, yeah. Cool, okay. Yeah. Cool. There's actually quite a good few um, very, very decent Scandinavian movies, <laughs> especially in mm-hmm. the last 10 to 15 years. Um, that's a kind of un- underappreciated uh, area of the world that her cinema yeah. their TV their TV's done incredibly well yeah. internationally hasn't it like the the scanned noir sort of yeah movement thing that's that's been a huge success yeah 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 the the the, the Swedish serial killer genre <laughs> as my folks like to call it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ice, icy crime drama. icy crime yeah, yeah. that's yeah. funny um <laughs> That's cool though, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll, I'll probably look that up now later. Yep, so that's the first choice anyway. Um, what have you been watching, Carlos? Um, so the first thing I watched on Apple TV <laughs> is <laughs> um, uh, was Defending Jacob, which is a eight-episode miniseries, at least, well... I assume it's a miniseries. It is a miniseries because there's only one book. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) it's uh, it's an adaptation of a book that I read years ago. It's a thriller. Well, thriller is a very... When you talk about novels, thriller is a very throwaway term. Um, It's kind of a family drama centered around, you know, with a kind of a, a dash of legal drama, murder mystery type of thing. That's general gist, but yes, so it's it's a, it's an adaptation of, of, of the book Defending Jacobs, same title, um, written, written by William Landay. And in the show, we have Chris Evans playing Andy Barber. Oh, cool. Um, from always great, in my opinion. From anything, anything he's in. Yeah, he's oh, and he's fantastic in this as well. Um, cool. Uh, so it's set in kind of Boston, um, and we also have Michelle Dockery. Is that her name from Downton Abbey and The Gentleman? Um, oh, I'm not 100. percent I didn't. I wasn't a viewer of Downton Abbey. She is a British actress, and she is magnificent in this show. Um, mm-hmm. Her accent doesn't slip once, which is extraordinary. Um, <laughs> she's actually brilliant in it. And the young kid, so Jacob, is Jaden Martell, who is the young fella from What's That? It. So yeah, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays the, the, the main kid from, from It, the brother of the, the little boy who dies. Um, so the general gist is just that um, Chris Evans' character, Andy, is the assistant district attorney of this small town and in the small town there's a murder that takes place because of course and it's a young boy who is from like a classmate of jacobs of the son so mm-hmm. um he uh, has to investigate you know the murder um, and then we start to see little hints of conflict of interest just because oh they find out that the young boy was a classmate of Jacob's and then it kind of all bubbles up in the first episode to Jacob himself becoming the prime suspect. Um, and after that, it veers away from the investigation. From episode one, we veer away from the investigation. And that's when the show shines for me because it's not about 
the murder mystery. It's not really about the investigation. It's about how this family deal with, particularly from both a parent to child perspective, but also a child to a parent perspective, how they deal mm -hmm. with this situation of being the prime suspect in a murder case, essentially. And then okay. as the series progresses, getting charged with murder and the trial and all of this stuff and the media scrutiny and how they how they deal with that as a family and that's what the show is about and the book a bit like a bit like uh, lenny abraham's room that reminded me a bit of that a little bit what you yeah. just described there yeah like you've got like a genre sort of setup yeah and then yeah it's but it's more about the how the characters deal with the outcome of that yeah exactly yeah that's, so that's cool. like it's it's almost like the genre itself is used as a backdrop for just getting into the heads of these people in this situation, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, but it's really, really fascinating because you get to see how these parents, um, both of them, essentially how they deal with, well, what if our son did this? And there's never, I, I, I also like the way that they both deal with it in different ways. So the mother becomes increasingly suspicious of her own son. And you can feel that then from the son's perspective towards the mother that sh she may lose faith in him later on. But he's also really stupid. <laughs> um, he does a lot of stupid things, but that a regular teenager would do until, of course, things get a little too weird and you start to question it as well. Um, and I really don't want to spoil the ending at all. I think people I think you should just watch it. Um, mm -hmm. And the ending is slightly different from the book. The book is a tiny bit more definitive shall we say without getting too spoilery i i found myself forgetting how the book ended i, I read it years ago probably about close to 10 years ago okay how old is the book is it it's well, only about that old i remember picking it up yeah. on like the okay. new releases shelf in eason's or something like that um mm -hmm. years ago i felt like oh it's one of these airport thrillers i think i bought it before flying to spain for the summer or something and I ended up inhaling it in a couple of days. Um, but it's not quite what you expect at all. You you just expect a regular murder mystery investigation. We're going to go through all the red herrings and the, this suspect and that suspect. But it's not that at all. Um, okay. We kind of only have one to two suspects for the entire show. But what is most fascinating is seeing the kind of things you wouldn't really think of when watching movies like this so how does this family go shopping during the trial you know <laughs> how do they deal with their neighbors all knowing that uh, their kid is basically suspect number one how do they now deal with their other parent friends from the school uh, who they just meet out in the street um the district attorney like Andy loses his job you know it's it's those kinds of plot elements that really keep it going and of course you're wondering through the whole thing did he actually do it or not that's that's essentially what drives the plot um mm -hmm. and the kid is amazing so there's kind of bits where you think he's just playing a moody teenager but then he'll be playing a moody teenager with kind of an edge and you'll begin to understand that he kind of didn't like this kid, but you're not sure if he had the capacity to kill this kid. Yeah. But there are certain elements that come out, and Jaden Martell is really, really good. There are certain moments where you see in his face, like, oh, you could have actually done this, you know? There's, there's, I don't know how to explain it, but there's certain facial expressions, certain moments where he kind of mm. sheds this moody teenager mask and becomes quite violent looking but mm. it's very very subtly done i think he's he's brilliant in the show um and we get chris evans just kind of lying to himself telling himself everything's okay everything's gonna be fine i believe him 100 percent. i'm gonna do everything i can kid brings home a knife stupidly and it's may or may not be the knife used to kill the kid and he sees it and reacts like a parent and just throws it away not thinking i'm the district attorney i <laughs> cannot be getting rid of evidence but he does it you know and there's moments like that um that really you know it keep you keep you on your on the edge of your seat there's a couple episodes in where we find out he wrote a story and posted it online like a little bit of fiction like a little short story and he posted it online and it's about the the death of the kid but it's mm -hmm. quite 
sadistic so you wonder like it, it's quite detailed as well so it's there mm. presented as a a bit of a more evidence of like well he did do it because here he is writing a story about it but he mm. comes back and he says look i didn't like the guy i don't need to pretend that he was my best friend blah 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 he calls out all of the hypocrisy around the school because not too many people like this kid and now they're all pr pretending that he's their best friend because he's dead <laughs> it's these very like kind of horrible things to say in the moment at the time but you still do understand what he's saying but it's stupid that he would write a story and post it online in <laughs> at that time you know what i mean so all of those kind of elements add more and more layers to each scene so it's not just did he do it did he it's you're wondering about well what are the repercussions of this action what are repercussions of that and it just rolls and rolls and rolls yeah. until the climax for me is in the second to last episode. And then the last episode is kind of like a, a, a big sigh of relief a little bit or a little bit calm after the storm. Um, and it's a very interesting way to end the series. And I remember the book, I vaguely remember the book finishing a similar way where the case finishes perhaps I really don't want to say spoil, uh, give away okay. any spoilers, but the case kind of finishes, and you think everything is everything is fixed or everything is mm, solved. We'll say not fixed, solved, and you then basically see the family trying to get on with their lives, and the interest and questions of going through something like this would completely ruin your life afterwards because. Mm -hmm. Uh, guilt by public opinion more so and social media and this kind of thing but we're throwing another curveball in the last episode and then it's it's kind of just left to the audience essentially mm -hmm. and i can really understand why some people would be perhaps disappointed in the ending but i think it works perfectly and I think you would like the ending of this show because it's not what you expect. And I feel like it would be your cup of tea. So, yeah, cool. um, no, definitely. I, I love a good mini series and I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. I, the acting in it is brilliant and the writing is, is, is really, really good. It's also beautifully shot. It's mm -hmm. super sleek. Um, like every shot is so crisp. And I found out that it was all uh, eight episodes are directed by one person, directed by the same guy. Okay. who what's his name uh martin tildum he okay. directed the, the imitation game ah, okay yeah, yeah. yeah cool um and he did a brilliant job here as far as mm -hmm. i'm concerned like the the yeah. episodes all feel perfect in perfect place if that i don't know if i phrased that well but everything mm -hmm. feels perfectly placed um everything feels necessary i've i've read some reviews that some people thought it dragged a little and it kind of stretched its source material a bit too thin but i didn't feel that at all i felt like some of the middle episodes really gave time to see how these characters are dealing with this this situation which was the focus yeah. of the show you know that sounds cool it yeah. also sounds a, quite a bit like to me um which is definitely why i'll check it out as well it's, it's a show that i loved but uh it sounds almost like the early years of uh, did you have? There's a, a series by Sundance that was called Rectified. Oh, Rectified! Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's that sound. They sound very similar to me. They do yeah. in the the sense of like, you know, you've. I mean, he's accused of murder when he's a teenager, isn't he? Before he's released he's on, back in society. He's on death row for years before yeah. he's left back. Yeah. Out. yeah. But what you've described there, in in the same way with that show, it's about the family dealing yeah. with the aftermath and when he's back out and how he's kind of like got to restart his life and stuff. But yeah, it's a few notes with that, what you've just said. And a similar vibe to that as well. Like in Rectify, I seem to recall that it's kind of left ambiguous to whether he did it or not or whether he was involved or not. And um, yeah. Rectify did that in a, in a really clever way that you kind of didn't want to know at a certain point as well, you know, mm -hmm. um, because the important thing was who he was now at the point the show started, um, yeah. which I think was really interesting with that show. But yeah, similar, cool. similar vibes nice. with Defending Jacob. But um, what impressed me the most actually uh, were the performances. I think Chris Evans is maybe the best I've ever seen him in anything. Um, oh, brilliant. 
and Michelle Dockery is amazing. And the kid, I think, is the most impressive because he had the toughest job. Yeah. Because you're, you're supposed to believe him and then not believe him and then believe him again. And then maybe it's, it's always left very, uh, very up in the air. And he does that brilliantly. Um, so, yeah, well worth a watch, I think. Thank you. Cool. Be right up your street. Sounds really good. You got a bunch of new people subscribing for another streaming service right now. <laughs> sure, look. You can afford it. It's fine. Okay, so I guess that makes it my turn next again with uh, a couple more selections for you. Uh, just to group together a couple of documentaries that I saw. Um, it's a documentary films rather than docuseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Dean's think Docs. Dean's Docs. I think both may be available again on Google Play uh, okay. film, so you can rent them. The first one, um, there's a filmmaker whose work I've really enjoyed to date, a guy called, I'm 100% going to mispronounce surnames again because I love doing that, uh, <laughs> Rodney Asher, I think, or Asher, possibly, uh, is a documentary filmmaker whose sort of film and TV work over the years has interested me. He made Room 237, which is about conspiracy theories revolving around the movie The Shining. Mm-hmm. And The Nightmare, which is a really great one about sleep paralysis. And he did a docuseries for the streaming service Shudder called Primal Screen, which was really good as well. What really interested me with with the way that he tends to tackle his stuff is that he kind of takes quite a creative approach into um, the way that he reenacts stuff. So he does it in quite a cinematic way, like it's very stylized, um, the way that he kind of puts together his interviews and stuff it's not the typical thing that you might get in a in a documentary it's all it's almost got the style and the sort of flair as a filmmaker of like a genre filmmaker to be honest with you than a documentary yeah. filmmaker which is something a bit different that i like about his stuff so his latest one um i decided to check out it's called a glitch in the matrix and oh you mentioned watching I this did, yeah. yeah and it explores like the scientific and sort of philosophical theory that we are all potentially living in a simulation um, as an idea, uh, which is, yeah. As conspiracies go, that is one of my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, like I say, the way that he makes it is what makes it so interesting to watch. Um, he kind of decides in this one to use CGI avatars for all the people that he interviews in a similar way to like maybe on a video call you could apply a filter but he kind of obviously has had a visual effects crew do a very over-the-top version like it's literally to the point that like the the people speaking on screen are like these almost like video game character kind of like yeah subhuman sort of creatures speaking to the screen uh and they kind of i think he intentionally sort of does that in a way that's quite smart because then he can place them into these reenactments and like these fantasy sequences uh revolved around their beliefs and sort of what they're talking about with simulation theory so uh it's just a really clever way that you can kind of seamlessly cut from the interview into these really elaborate sequences with the same characters in essentially yeah um but they're in like cgi form and along with that, you kind of get clips of figures who are fond of the theory, like Elon Musk and Philip K. Dick talking about uh, the idea of the theory, uh, along with sort of clips from movies with the same concept in. Of mm-hmm. course, The Matrix features pretty heavily, hence the, yeah. the sort of title, uh, which I enjoyed. And I don't know, it kind of... It's unsettling to watch, to be fair. It goes into some pretty dark territory towards the end. Uh, There's one interview in particular. I'll try not to spoil this, but uh, they interview, let's say, a very disturbed person who was affected by the first time they saw The Matrix and they end Mm -hmm. up repeatedly sort of watching The Matrix and getting kind of quite sucked into this concept in their head that they could be living in a simulation and they kind of take that interview and do a reenactment based on it in a way that's not too gratuitous but it's unsettling to witness that part of the documentary and i just don't know how i kind of stood morally with the filmmaker's decision in 
putting that in the film and also the motivations from the person who is being interviewed as to why they agreed to it and why the filmmaker agreed to it. Yeah. Uh, again, I can't be very specific because I don't want to sort of spoil it for anybody, but that was a bit of a, a problem for me with it. But yeah. um, in fairness, it does still give you a really interesting take and like I say, quite an unsettling depiction of the sort of paranoia people, the people that interviews go through um, having lived their lives from a very young age, believing in that theory and taking it to extremes in the way yeah. that they've kind of like lived in the world and treated the world. But you you kind of get that backed up with not as quite as disturbing, sort of more kind of fun, head scratchy moments with like scientific minds and experts going through the kind of like the existential sort of ideas behind the theory itself, which kind of makes you think a little bit... Uh, but yeah, if you like kind of offbeat documentaries that sort of mess with your head a little, that's a fun, fun little watch, that one. Yeah, I love having my head messed with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially by some uh, some flat earth conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not quite as nuts as that. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. But, um, but that's cool. That's cool that they got um, Philip K. Dick and the the resident conspiracy theorist Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, well, they're not. No, when I mentioned it's archival footage, so it's oh, like it's okay. it's an interview that I think it's a public interview that um, it was like an announcement. Actually, I've seen it in a. I've actually seen it in an Adam Curtis documentary. The same footage right. used differently, but uh, I think Philip K. Dick back in the seventies in Paris, uh, he announced mm-hmm. like a meeting and he he announced to everybody that he believed that some of the content of his books themselves, like even The Man in the High Castle specifically, yeah. uh, were actually based on truths of real experiences that he'd had experienced himself. And he kind of like talks quite openly about believing that, saying to the world then that we are in yeah. fact living in a simulation. And he kind of like <laughs> just confesses that to everybody. It's a bit of a, an, unusual, an unusual moment. But yeah, so there's that interview. And then there's obviously all the clips off of YouTube and stuff of uh, Elon Musk, yeah, various sort of conventions and stuff chatting about that idea so he's in it as well a little I'd bit I'd love to truthfully believe in half of the shit that I come up with <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely I feel like he I feel like he probably lived a nice existence then you know like living in these little sci-fi worlds that he creates because he created some pretty cool sci-fi worlds yeah not gonna lie. yeah definitely <laughs> um, imagine how happy he must have been <laughs> Or depressed, depending on his outlook on the living in the Matrix. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the Matrix, if you're a fan of just interesting head scratching sort of ideas, or like say a more stylistic approach to a documentary than the, what is the norm, then yeah, that's that's a good one. Does it um does it kind of leave you with does it kind of leave you thinking any differently ab- about that? Like it doesn't. Mm. It doesn't try to convince you, does it? Or, or it is doesn't. it doesn't. Just... I would say that my my only slight again, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider this one of the stronger of of that filmmaker's movies to date. To be honest mm. with you, or it wasn't isn't one of my favourites of his, but it's still interesting. But um, I would say that they could have done with interviewing a few more people that are more sceptical yeah. to do with the idea. He right. definitely definitely deliber- intentionally chooses subjects that would happily kind of be like adamant that that is the truth rather yeah, than okay. getting a bit of a balanced view um because I, I i tend to veer away from documentaries that have very kind of one-sided views um you know it's it's quite a it's not exactly what i want from a documentary to to to, to just watch one person's viewpoint of a certain topic or a certain you know yeah world view um but i like I guess seeing unusual ideas just being thrown at me yeah. and just at least considering them, <laughs> not really entertaining the possibility that it might be true, but you know, it's yeah, entertaining. I, th- I think maybe one thing gets in the way of the other with this in the sense of like, I think maybe if it were, if maybe if you just remove the expert opinions and you took them out completely yeah. and you didn't even have the flashbacks to the archival footage and it was just, uh, it was just the, just the subjects as avatars talking yeah. about how openly they deeply believe in simulation theory and it just being about that aspect of paranoia and just being entirely from the point of view of people who are in that mindset then it'd be yeah. fine because it's just about like you being in that mindset yourself and the experience of it. But because it tries to present itself as well, a little bit of like exploring this concept and this idea and sort of like a, a wider 
way. I think the two get in the way of each other a little bit because it's right, not quite okay. balanced enough for that. Uh, yeah, I'll move on to my next one because uh, I, I kind of spent a, a bit too much time on that one. Uh, wrap things up. But uh, yeah, the next one is available. Actually, sorry, I did say these were Google Play, but this one is available on the US version of Netflix. Cool. Um, which is available by means of use of <laughs> services, <laughs> shall we say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's called The Last Blockbuster. And to be honest with you, I kind of mistakenly saw Kevin Smith in the sort of cover art on Netflix for this. Right. And I thought it was going to be about the decline of like the Hollywood blockbuster movie in cinema. Yeah. But it turns out, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's literally <laughs> about the last blockbuster ever, meaning the video rental store, <laughs> which took over the world in the eighties and nineties. Like, <laughs> so oh, that's amazing. The 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 last ever store. Yeah, the last ever store. So you get like lots of really um, nice nostalgic footage and interviews with sort of ex company staff and customers, sort of reminiscing on the the good old days uh, and celebrity and some celebrity interviews as well uh, yeah. about the history of Blockbuster Video and how much they kind of miss miss that. Um, but to be honest with you, like the main focus away from that is on this lovely woman who, uh, along with her family, have run the last remaining Blockbuster video store in the world, which uh, is in Oregon, in a town called Bend. And, uh, yeah, it's just lovely. It's qu quite, quite a sweet, cosy watch for anyone yeah. who kind of grew up with Blockbuster video in their lives or a video store. Uh, it's it's really great watching that. But also, if you weren't from that, so if you if that's a bit for your time it's also just like a fun little document of the history of sort of yeah. a lifestyle that isn't around anymore and now thanks to streaming it doesn't really exist yeah but um yeah if you if like me you sort of grew up obsessing over movies uh then you'll definitely see some people you can really relate to being interviewed in this and uh it's also to be honest with you quite wonderful how like this one woman <laughs> has sort of kept this thing alive this long that's just, amazing. Just for the sheer love of doing it, not for any other yeah. reason than that, really. To the That's point amazing. where she goes to the super, she goes to Walmart or somewhere, and she even buys titles specifically that she can't get hold <laughs> of to go on the shelf. So she's just going out there, grabbing DVDs and Blu-rays. And there's this one loyal dude who just comes in the store like every day, and he's like, and he knows it. They interview him, and he says to himself, you know, like I could easily go on Netflix and watch like Insidious Two now or whatever, but I don't. Yeah. I get my card, I walk down, I get in my car, I drive over and I walk through the door and I give him my card. And she's probably, like I say, just gone to Walmart and got that off the shelf yep. and it's giving him a DVD that she's bought with her own money. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's nice. That's great. That's just watch. like a little, a little pocket of the universe where they want to just keep some tradition, some beloved tradition alive. That's cool. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I like, I mean... I didn't have a blockbuster growing up, but I have I had another chain called Movie Magic. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Movie Magic on Dorset Street, close to Drumcondra, where I grew up okay. <laughs> in Dublin. For anyone who's from Dublin, <laughs> there was a little shop on Dorset Street called Movie Magic, where I used to rent movies when I was a kid. Like I, I can name off some of the movies that I love that mm -hmm. I found in Movie Magic. Um, the Born Identity. Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, <laughs> uh, Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve. Like, this place gave me some joy, yeah. I know the feeling of uh, yeah. renting, renting an LM film, going in and picking up something random you've never heard of. Before the days of the internet, I even remember the days before the internet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't want to sound like sort of like old man reminiscing. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't the aim of that. But yeah, that, but there was, there was something quite specific about Blockbuster, which they mention in the documentary, which I kind of agree with as well. Uh, because I would have gone to like, you, you would have had your local video store on the corner as a kid growing up and stuff like that, mm -hmm. like the small scale, like the independence and stuff. But there was almost like there's they they describe one guy describes it in a way, and I kind of agree. Maybe he's a bit over the top about it, but almost like it's not. A, he describes it as almost like walking into a church like type of environments. There's there's <laughs> like or a library or something. There there was like a yeah. There was a certain sort of like formulaic kind of like 
emptiness and like a calmness and a layout to Blockbuster. Everything was very clean and you knew yeah. where everything was and you could go into one no matter where you were and they'd all be the same as the other one. And it was like, I don't know, because your video store experience from an independent level was more like, you know, going into your corner shop and it's like, you know, it's a bit messy and cluttered and a bit dirty, sticky floor, so yeah. grimy, like seedy sort of atmosphere sort of thing. Whereas like Blockbuster was like the slick kind of like... Mm. It, you almost felt like you were walking into the foyer of a big chain multiplex yeah. cinema each time you walked through the door and they'd have all the snacks and the sweets there and the big machines and stuff like that as well as all the... And then just pretty much every type of movie you could imagine yeah. just all perfectly catalogued and stuff. So it was cool like that. But yeah, it's, uh, this kind of brings back some fun memories just watching that. And uh, if you're of, of my age or even, like I say, yeah, I mean, Carlos has proven there, even younger... Everyone's yep. still got memories of, of that lifestyle. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's I'd say a fun I, one. I might have been the last generation I'd because say I so. remember, some I remember of the, when they closed. Yeah, some of the titles you mentioned there, I'd say they were very much on the cusp of, they yeah. probably would have had Jewel like, probably going on to just from DVD, well, certainly DVD. Mm-hmm. I'd say yeah. the, the VHS copies were probably less and less of some of those titles at the time. Yeah. They yeah. see that movie Magic Place started doing DVDs in around oh two oh three. Yeah. So some of those films even had both VHS and DVD. Yeah. Um, and we used to have that. I remember we upgraded from a VHS from our old black rusty VHS to a dual VHS DVD box, which I thought was the coolest thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, that's mad yeah. to think back on that now because I don't even own a single DVD anymore. You know, it's it's pretty crazy. I used to actually buy a lot of the v- VHSs from Blockbuster. In fairness, yeah. more, more than use it as a rental place. I used to I used to go in there quite a lot and actually buy buy either occasionally they'd sell brand new titles or buy yeah. like they they basically uh, repackage the the ones that have been in the the blockbuster yeah. boxes with their official boxes you'd still get them in a larger box than what the conventional store box would be but you'd get them like half the price of a normal one so i remember yeah. getting movies like the usual suspects or something like that that like for half the price and watching that for the first time but i think one of my fondest rentals that someone would have got for me like my dad went in there the once and i was a bit of a scaredy cat for certain genres of films when i was very young but uh so horror was sort of off the radar a lot for me at one stage. But then I got to a certain age where I thought, um, my dad knew I was into sci-fi and stuff and he he got he just got me the Alien trilogy, like it well, but not as a full trilogy, cool. individual movies, like as a box yeah. set. Not as a box set, sorry, like as individual tapes. And he came back and he's like, I think you're old enough to watch some of those now. <laughs> so I just like spent a weekend watching uh, the Alien films and that kind of just Very blew cool. my mind. That was cool. <laughs> That's really, really cool, yeah. Um, and I once, I remember when the when at least our video store closed, the local one, I then was kind of scrambling for how to keep this little tradition alive. And I remember for a few years after that, I would always go to two places because I used to spend half of my time here and half of my time in Spain. So I would go to HMV here to the bargain bins in HMV where they were selling DVDs for like three euro and pick like however many my parents would let me at the time. Mm -hmm. They're like, we'll give you a little budget and pick out a few movies. That was the best thing ever for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like they, of course, would pick out like 10 movies themselves or whatever, you know, and we'd have dvds for like a couple of months then to get through you know whatever mm-hmm. um and then there was another place in spain um called carrefour which is actually a french supermarket chain that sell that used to sell dvds mm-hmm. but they also have a bargain bin it's it's quite literally a bin at least the, <laughs> my my local one that um that used to be beside my grandmother's house in spain was uh a big kind of steel basket, huge bin, just with unorganized DVDs. And I used to plunge into that head first and pick out whatever. But yeah, that yeah. was the... And I think the first movie, I, one of the first early movies I bought in that bin was Batman Begins. So that tells you kind of around the time 
when that video place closed. Yeah. And I bought that Batman Begins in Spain. So that's around 04, 05 is when that place closed. And, yeah. you know, had to go elsewhere for DVDs then. <laughs> if there's two key things that I kind of miss to do with that sort of lifestyle, I guess it's it's the sense of getting a bargain. It's the idea of like value yeah. for money. Of like with streaming, you don't get that. You don't get that sense of like, wow, I got, I got these three films for a ten. That's amazing. Because yeah. now it's just like they're just all there. They just hit play yeah. and it's there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everything's there. Um, and then also the idea that like it forces you to like curate your choices. Like because you used to yeah. go in there and you think like, okay. I can watch two movies tonight. Maybe I could squeeze three in if I'm lucky, if I just watch three. What am I going to pick? And I know in the documentary they mentioned about like uh, the experience for like couples for like dating and you're picking for your partner. I mean, as a yeah. bit of a loser as a kid, I never had that problem. Um, <laughs> these are all just for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, just that idea of like you look through and you just think, okay, whenever I watch, I maybe we'll start off with this action film and then I heard this like this kind of art film sounds interesting and I might watch this sort of like this sci-fi thing here and you just find yourself like thinking like what would what would be interesting after watching that or something and it kind of forces you into this creative mindset of just like oh, I'll just explore a little program of movies here every night instead yeah. of being lost really... looking mindlessly at like endless yeah. lists of everything where you just can't mm. make a selection it's a very different experience it's a really interesting thing of it's a really interesting process of like uh learning your taste as well mm -hmm. i think it's a really important part of learning what you're into yeah um whereas nowadays the overload of content i don't know if if kids or teenagers today are having vastly different experiences and how they develop their tastes in movies you know or tastes in mm -hmm. tv shows with with all of this wall of content i i, yeah. I kind of hate the word content as well it's just like mm -hmm. produce <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's why um, you need reliable podcasts like pop swap <laughs> <laughs> to make those choices for you <laughs> but um yeah yeah i don't know i think maybe perhaps kids today are having a rougher time figuring out what they're in. Ah, I'm, I'm sure they have their own ways now yeah. of figuring out what they're into but i think yeah that was forcing you to pick out dvds was our ways of realizing what kind of movies we were into at the time mm -hmm. that's cool though 100 percent. but um i will watch that now that's really good so i guess to finish up with one more topic after all that reminiscing um another brand new show although well i don't actually know if it's brand new i think Apple TV actually launched with this show and it okay. won them some awards. So there's a little uh, there's a little teaser. But I also watched the morning show with Jennifer Aniston, Reith Reith Reese Witherspoon. Reith Witherspoon. And uh, Steve Carell. Uh, more, what, there's loads of actors. There's Nestor Carbonell. There's um, Gugu Mbatha Ra, who I really like. She was in that episode of Black Mirror that I really, really enjoy. Um, yeah. How are you spelling morning? Is this like a breakfast television show, or is this like people grieving? Is this morning, is a the morning show, show or the morning show specifically about grieving widows? Oh, okay. uh, no, it's not. <laughs> the no. morning. No. No, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. It's the morning show. Like Good Morning America. Oh right, so it is like a parody almost, is it, of breakfast television? Basically, yeah. Oh, it's, cool. Okay. It is about the cutthroat world of morning TV in America, and it's brilliant. Great. It is so good. And I will go as far as to say that it's one of the best season finales I've ever seen. Anyway, The Morning Show. What are we what are we doing? Oh yes. So <laughs> The Morning Show kind of opens up with the Me Too scandal. Um so this, you know, super uber popular uh, morning show in America with two anchors, Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston, is rocked by the the Me Too wave, shall we say? Um, so allegations are kind of are are, are landed against Steve Carell's character, um, and he plays a dude called Mitch Kessler. Is his name? And Jennifer Aniston's character's name is Alex Levy, and they're basically America's mom and dad. 
you know the 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 morning mom and dad bringing you the new you know the the typical kind of good morning america duo and so right off the bat you know you you're, you're dealing with those social cultural movements and social cultural um uh, issues that are quite prevalent in today's society um mm-hmm. also you know just general issues of i guess sexism and the patriarchy and the, those usual issues and a bit more so than the documentary you were talking about earlier um or sorry the the, the film you were talking about earlier it kind of delves a bit deeper into those yeah issues and it it's the driving force of the show but what surprised me is how they dealt with it because coming from an American kind of production, um, I expected it to be very preachy and very, I don't want to say this and sound like a dick, but total girl power, which it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. But it was done in the way that I, that, that I like it and the, the done in, the, in, in a very nuanced way, shall we say. Um, yeah. It was dealt with very smartly because the writing was good and the dialogue was good and the characters were intelligent um, and they were able to have dialogues and discussions that presented ideas from several different perspectives and you Mm -hmm. understood all of these people. And that's what I think the biggest strength of the show was. Um, Also, Jennifer Aniston is acting her ass off in this show. She is amazing. Um, my girlfriend said she said something funny I like the way she put it she was like she's not just acting she is acting <laughs> <laughs> she is awards acting <laughs> um, but not in a way that's that's unbelievable or over the top or mm-hmm. Al Pacino <laughs> she, she just she's very very good in it but anyway brief premise so our, our anchor Mitch Kessler is accused of sexual misconduct and fired and we're dealing now with the fallout of this with the kind of remaining players on, on the show. Mm-hmm. So Alex, um, we have come to realize the the brass, basically the suits, the upper, upper kind of production, whoever the CEO of the network want, originally wanted to kind of cast her to the wayside and get rid of her for somebody, somebody fresh, new. They were kind of treating her like she was past her sell-by date a little bit. And we get this new kind of melty, young, fiery, young spirit in Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. who curiously I think is only like 10 years younger than Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> But um, they hire her, and I won't say how, I, I don't really want to give it away, but it's, it's, it's in kind of dramatic circumstances. And there's always more than one or two things going on at any one time in the show. And everyone has their own agenda. But we gradually kind of get everyone's perspective on what is happening, what everyone's perspective is on Mitch, the guy who did the misconducting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we get perspectives from the people who he may have affected uh, directly with those behaviors Um, and it's super interesting but what i also really liked was it dealt with kind of the different waves of the me too movement so the first kind of wave he even says it himself um while talking to he he, there's a scene where he talks to this film producer uh who was also uh accused um, and it's a really, really great scene. It's a, it's really important as well, I think, for the time that we're living in to, to have these two characters talk about it and have these two male characters talk about it, mm-hmm. where he kind of refers to it being the second or third wave of Me Too. And it wasn't quite as bad as the first wave. And the first wave was Weinstein and all these guys that, you know, did really, you know, criminal kind of things. And the complexities of behaviors in the second and third waves of the the me too kind of allegations you know and he has this conversation with this film producer who is a real fucking deviant you know he's a real like sexual predator kind of guy and he doesn't realize that so steve Carell's character doesn't realize it but through the conversation it kind of comes out and he sees this person's point of view and he's like i'm not you dude you know um because we kind of learn that he he just slept around the office too much you know mm-hmm. um which of course as a as a person of power in in a job like that you should not do <laughs> which is common sense and it deal but it deals with it in the sense of they don't present him as the devil incarnate which allows the audience to listen to what he's saying 
but also it allows him to listen to what everybody else is saying to him and you can see him learning from that as well but it's it's not the main focus of the show the main focus of the show is also uh, like jennifer aniston's character she's essentially the main character is her trying to survive um and 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 show to the network that she's not fucking past her sell by date like don't treat me like a piece of meat and cast me out to the wayside you know yeah and it's 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 fantastic and and she kind of uses reese witherspoon's character to you know to evolve what the show is and what the show is about and it uses their kind of position to challenge the culture in the workplace in that works workplace specifically um and it's just all dealt with really really smartly so i think every like 10 minutes in the show me and my girlfriend were pausing to talk about these issues and talk and really discuss it and discuss the nuances and complexities of it because it's easy to get lost in the noise of these things and to jump on a bandwagon and be like cancel this person this person is a you know sexual predator we should never ever give this person a platform ever ever again and they're the worst thing to happen to humanity ever um not that i'm saying we should be listening to these people but help them learn why it was wrong and why their behavior was misguided yeah um and the show really kind of the message is um or one of the messages of the show because it's one of the plot points basically is just that if we talk more to these people they will learn and if they're scolded and cancelled and berated and like you know hung out to dry they'll essentially become a martyr and become more firm in their defensive position basically uh and it's it's that idea of the show that that it presents it and it you can really think about it like that so it it's dealt it dealt with that issue really really well but apart from that there's also uh billy crudup was in the show he plays my favorite character he's a new kind of head of the news division Mm-hmm. Uh, who comes in to try shake things up and he is great he just loves chaos he loves messy shit he wants the show to be new and fresh and and all this kind of stuff and it starts out you kind of think he's a little bit of a creep but he's not he's just kind of insane but he's a he's a really good dude at heart you know um and he just wants to watch shit burn. <laughs> Some men just want to watch the world burn. Like that's Billy Crudup in this show. But he helps um, Jennifer Aniston's character kind of evolve. Um, and he he mentors Reese Witherspoon's character to really own her position, her new position on the show. And we, as the series goes on, we have like the head producer who is played by Mark Duplass. I don't know if you know Mark Duplass mm-hmm. um, of the Duplass brothers. Um, he's dealing with so much shit. He's just getting stuff thrown at him from left, right and center. So by the time you get to the season finale, there's an interview with L- Mitch Kessler looming. Uh, they want the Reese Witherspoon wants to bring him back for for an interview on the same show that he was just fired from and he wants to he wants to defend his position and like he's being all stubborn and then you get the new network head who just wants to watch shit blow up and he <laughs> wants to expose the upper network uh guys so that he can take their position and you get perspectives from everyone else who works in the department and how all of these situations are affecting them. So by the time you get to the finale, there's all these, you know, juggling balls in the air <laughs> and it just kind of goes boom, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's really, seasons? really good. Is it a mini series or is it seasons? It's actually not. It's actually going to be a show. So the first season okay. came out late 2019 and it's right. what launched Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Um they unfortunately shut had to shut down production last year with the pandemic. Yeah, but it's back up and running now. Okay, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's another one in our uh, our list of uh, yeah, but it's exactly the same scenario. Servant and uh, so, yeah. for all mankind, it's uh, first yeah. season was out. Second season's getting rave reviews. <laughs> yeah, go and check the whole lot out. Yeah, yeah. so um, cool. 
But uh, yeah, so I don't know actually when the second season will be dropping for the morning show, but I okay. will watch that day one. Absolutely. Um, it's it, it's a perfect lesson for anyone interested in screenwriting as well. Just, you know, to have every character, every character be complex, be, you know, human, like real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know where they are, where they're coming from, what they're doing, what they want and put them all in a scene or in one episode and have everyone's objectives just come to a head and you throw all these balls up in the air and everything is just gonna go tits up and it's brilliant great definitely got a couple of new things to be checking out this week then 100% can't recommend it highly enough um and i will continue to peruse apple tv for more content (laughs) (laughs) great stuff (laughs) Thank you again, everybody. That's uh, that's us for today. Uh, yeah, join us next week. I'm sure we will experience a lot more this week coming and have more to talk about with you next week. Do the do the liking, the sharing, do oh, yes. the subscribing, do the homework. S- spread the word. <laughs> spread the word. I can, I can only base uh, the knowledge of how many of you are listening out there. Unfortunately, my analytics only give me an idea of downloads rather than just how many times people might have hit a play button on their their podcast services. So uh, I just have a, a rough indication that there's a, a loyal 15 of you downloading so far, but I'm not sure how many people Amazing. beyond that are actually playing episodes. But that's a 15. Fifteen whole humans listen 15 to me. Hardcore shit. listeners, yeah. <laughs> but who knows? There might be more of you floating out there who are not hitting the download button. They're just In pressing the play, which is fine. But as long as you share the wealth and let everybody know about us, that's all good. Cool. We'll see everybody next week. Bye bye.